we have an opportunity to uh, hear Chris now speak to us. Chris and Joe were part of, well, Chris was here in the North Central, North Gathering. Joe was, you were here as well. And now they are with the Holbeck Gathering in the south of Leeds. So it's great to have Chris back and Joe. Chris is going to be speaking to us the next in our series. As he comes up, we have an opportunity to follow along with Chris's message. We have a QR code that you can follow along and download onto your phone so you can follow if uh, English is not your first language or if maybe you're hard of hearing or deaf. So we have got accessible uh, notes for you. So please date that. I think we have the screenshot of that. Also, we have the QR code out on the desk out there. So let's welcome Chris. Looking forward to hearing from you. Real. Um Hey everyone, how are we doing? Good. All right, real. Um, yeah, when you hear a story and a truth, a, a, a reality like Anastasia's that we just heard, man, it really just brings home um, our context um, and the opportunity we have um, as Christians, as um, people who believe in the living God to pray for that situation, but also use our opportunity, our resources, our, our homes, our, our lives to welcome those who need welcoming. Um, and today uh, we are going to touch on um, yeah, what that might look like. Um, as as uh, I was introduced, my, my name's Chris. Um, I was a part of North Central, uh, got married, moved to Holbeck, and now a part of South uh, Leeds Holbeck uh, gathering with my wife, Jo. Um, really pleased to be with you this morning. Um, if you've been here over the past couple of weeks, um, you will know we are three weeks into our series called Resistance. Um, the thinking behind this series is that within societies, cultures, and its norms are powerful. Um, they can shape how we see things and how we decide to live our lives. And within the UK, within Western society, um, we are no different. And our culture can and will have impact on uh, what we do, who we are. However, there are parts of our culture uh, that can be at loggerheads, that can be at conflict with the call of following the life of Jesus and seeking to live our lives in submission to that. And so this series is staring some of that in the face and asking the questions, what of our culture is at loggerheads? Uh, what is in conflict with that call? Um, and what are we actually called to? What should we be leaning into counterculturally uh, for the betterment of lives wanting to follow Jesus? Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at anxiety to peace and then secularism to faith. And this week, we'll be diving into tribalism to diversity. Um, when I say tribalism and diversity, uh, there may be a few thoughts as to what uh, tribalism means, and I'm also aware that diversity over the past couple of years uh, with the murder of George Floyd has been almost like a buzzword, and there's loads of thoughts and feelings around this. So I guess I, I, I want to approach this really sensitively um, uh, in a way that defines what we mean by uh, tribalism and diversity. 
um, but also what Jesus' response to this is. Um, sound good? Still with me? Brilliant. Let me, let me just pray for us as, as we go into this. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are good and your mercies endure forever. Thank you for your church, Mosaic Church, and our heart um, to see lives and communities across Leeds transformed through the spread of your living word. Uh, as we grapple with tribalism and diversity, please, Lord, would you use the words I have put on paper to edify, to encourage and challenge us for the sake of your mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when uh, we say, I say tribalism, what is actually meant? Um, well, it refers to the loyalties that people feel towards particular social groups and to the way these loyalties affect their behavior, their attitudes towards others. And when I say social groups, it could be defined by families or communities with connections. And these connections can be social, economic, cultural, uh, based on language or dialect. And so when I say, again, when I say uh, tribalism, it's a sense of having something in common and being loyal, dedicated to it so much that it impacts the way we see the world around us, how we interact with others, who we interact with, who we don't interact with, and how we feel about them. Now, on the surface, uh, you might say this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, when you find something you have in common with others and form a group, you can often find friendship, uh, you can often find a sense of belonging, uh, which are all good things. Uh, but the danger and what we're looking at today is when this sense of belonging, this being a part of a group, um, becomes a place where an attitude of pride or superiority forms. It can then mean that those who are on the outside of that group, um, oh, sorry, it can then mean that those who are in the group, because of having something in common, can begin to look down on others who are not part of it. And whilst those in it have found a sense of belonging, those who are not um, often find themselves having to um, change to, to find the cultures, cultural norms and customs to be accept, accepted. And often if they are not, uh, they can have a bit part role, um, but also find themselves marginalized because their way of doing things doesn't fit in with the majority. So tribes can be made up of things such as age, race, class, voting preference, uh, religion. Uh, these are just a few of the things. And I think it's easy to think and say, ah, that's not actually me, that's not what I do, and switch off. Uh, pride and superiority are really ugly words. I don't like to be associated with them. Um, I'm not prideful, nor do I think I'm superior to others. And I guess one of the challenges around this is that pride, or the feeling of being superior, isn't glaringly obvious, at least to ourselves. And often it takes around people around us uh, and being in scenarios for us to see uh, where they are. So I just want to be really honest and give you an example. Um, I recently became friends with an asylum seeker who came to the UK around two years ago. 
and only knows a few words of English. Um, around six months ago, he was moved to Leeds uh, from the community and church family he had begun to get to know, um, including members who spoke his first language. And as I got to know him, um, it, it became apparent that he hadn't managed to see his original church family and friends um, who he'd been moved from. Um, so I offered to take him, and it was an, hour, an hour's drive away. Um, long story short, when I took him, I was really happy to take him. We had a really good conversation in the car. Um, but I didn't get to meet any of his friends or church family when I dropped him off or picked him up. And when I dropped him off and picked him up, uh, seeing he was by himself, there was a feeling of disappointment. A bit of disappointment that I didn't get to meet them, yes, but as I reflected a bit more, I realized there was a piece of me that wanted some sort of recognition. I kind of wanted to meet his friends and hear them say, oh, thank you so much. You know, you are such a good friend. He's really blessed to have people like you around him. And if there was a label I would place on that and, and say why, I'd say there was an underlying pride there. I wanted to receive some praise and be able to tell my other friends, my tribe, of the story that I helped someone who needed it. Someone who had less power than I did. Someone who wouldn't usually be my social group, my tribe, because of their difference in language and culture. And again, as I reflect, reflected, there was an air of superiority. If I'm brutally honest, I wanted to help him in a very specific way, and I wanted his friends to almost stroke my ego and make me feel important. And although subtle and could have gone unnoticed, there was, like I say, an air of pride and superiority. I had to really just bring that to God and say, Ah oh man, even in my doing well, doing good for people, there's self and ultimately sin. I'm sorry, I repent. And I, I've, I've just been really vulnerable there sharing that story. Um, and this is my example, but I wonder whether anyone can relate. I'm not going to ask for hands. I, I imagine there are times when we have either looked down, distanced ourselves, kept at arm's length, been slow to talk to someone who is different or outside of our tribe. Or, as in my example, you might have found yourself seeing someone in need or help uh, and rather than an equal. And the big question is, why, why do we do this? Well, we don't have to look far um, to see that tribalism exists within our society. There are divisions, and being part of society, we are susceptible to being influenced. Take, for example, across political lines. Politics is something we talk about, right? Um, in 2018, a survey done by Cambridge University um, after the Brexit referendum in 2016 found that fewer than half of Labour and Conservative voters said they were, they were willing to talk about politics with someone from the other side. And around 75% wouldn't be happy for their child to marry someone from the opposite political side. Yeah. In the same year, uh, YouGov 
uh, did some research into the diversity of friendships across the UK and found that one third of white Britons didn't have any friends from ethnic minority groups. Oh, yeah, ethnic minority backgrounds. YouGov also in that same research found that one third of people who would consider themselves from a working class background didn't have any friends from a different social class. This eats into the heart of us, really. And just to add some gloom into this, um, this was before the pandemic, uh, which by all accounts, or by at least what I've read, has lessened social cohesion between differing communities and groups. We see divisions across so many lines. With the cost of living rising, with the gap between the wealthy and those in financial need widening, with the division in our politics and communities, we are seeing a rise in fear, anxiety and prejudice, which are all symptoms of tribalism. And if we are not careful, we can buy into this way of living. I mean, it's quite easy to build a community, surround ourselves with people who think the way we do. In fact, the truth is, it's harder to build relationships across differences. It takes more effort, more energy. Uh, we have to be intentional about our acts and behavior. There's more potential to offend, and miscommunication is so easy to happen. And so, again, I ask the question, why? Why not just build a self-sustaining ecosystem that confirms our ways of thinking and doing? Well, the truth is, diversity, inclusion, the mixing of groups, and intentionally including people of a range of different backgrounds and experiences, is God's idea. Throughout the Bible, we see a theme of play out of God choosing to bless and include all peoples. Within the Bible, uh, a man called Abraham, whose name literally means father of many nations, is told, leave your country, your kindred, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And so God is quite literally encouraging social mixing to move into a different land, but also in him blessing Abraham, he is wanting to see people who are different to him from other nations blessed. And that's in some of the first pages of the Bible. Uh, the theme of God wanting to bless and reach people across Differences runs right through it up until the final pages in Revelations where John the writer has a vision of what heaven is going to look like and he sees a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Again, this clearly describes the diversity that will be seen in heaven where people are at peace with one another, in unity, worshipping God. So if diversity, inclusion, is God's idea, yet we are surrounded or around us we see in society, even in our lives, division, tribalism, how do we move from tribalism to diversity 
How do we cross tribal divides and move towards God's vision of inclusion? Well, in the time we have left, uh, we're going to look at a short passage in the Bible where Jesus' followers, his disciples, find themselves unintentionally subscribing to tribalism. And how Jesus' Jesus response is fascinating yet challenging. Um, We'll be reading from Mark 9, verses 38 to 41. And just to give some context, as there's so much going on before this moment. Earlier on in the chapter, uh, as early on in the chapter, Jesus is traveling through modern-day Syria, and as he is surrounded by a crowd, a man with a son comes to him. His son is actually really unwell. He is possessed and needs real help. And the man earlier asked Jesus' disciples to help in healing his son, um, but they could not. So he asked Jesus, Jesus performs an amazing miracle in healing his son, and the disciples are dumbfounded as they, they couldn't do it themselves. And Jesus answers, they, ask, they actually ask him um, why they couldn't do it, and Jesus answers, only prayer can help in these kinds of situations. There's also a moment where the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest out of all of them, and Jesus calmly says to them, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So I'll also take in from the disciples' point of view. um, And after these interactions, we come to this passage. So Mark 9, 38 to 41. I'm just going to invite Zara up uh, to to read this. Zara leads um, Awake Mission Group here. So, Zara. In my name, can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose a reward. Thanks, Sarah. So there's loads in these few verses that we could focus on. Um, but I want to draw our attention to a couple of things that we can learn from this passage. Uh, firstly, this, the disciples, having just earlier struggled to drive out a demon in a child, they see someone else managing to do it, and their reaction is to tell them to stop. Why? Well, it's because the person who was doing it was not a part of their group. If this isn't tribalism, I don't know what is. There's a pride they have been chosen to be those who get to travel and see Jesus' ministry up close and personal. There's an exclusivity that they feel and that brings them to question anyone outside of their group, even if they are doing something, such as driving out demons in Jesus' name. Just before this, they were arguing about who is the greatest among them. And again, Jesus' response to them was, "This, this person, they are for us. What are the implications of this? Well, one is that Jesus' idea of who represents him is much bigger than the disciples. Just because this person is not in Jesus' disciple group does not mean they are not part of his plans. Just because this person does not do things their way 
does not mean God is not working through them. When I think of our context in light of this, it raises some real challenging questions to which I don't have easy answers. What does it look like for us as a church to recognize differences and not expect those who act and live out the gospel in a different way than what we are used to have to change or not have to change or assimilate to the cultural norms? How do we appreciate God's vision for diversity, celebrating it and including it, uh, including difference in the ways of being together? Today is great, we are celebrating our diversity, but what does it look like in our mission groups? What does it look like in our discipleship triplets? Our living out of our faith. And I, I, I want you to hear me well. Um, I love this church. I have been discipled well in this church. I found my wife in this church. And so I am really grateful for this church. I can clearly see how God is working in and through us. And not but. And I truly believe there is more for us as a church in this area. I want to show you a picture. This is... 21-year-old Chris Heiliger. With my boys, uh, the group of friends I grew up with. We're actually at uh, Leeds Carnival um, quite a few years ago now. Um, now, I was at the very beginning of my faith journey in Jesus. And so there were many things that needed to change, some habits that weren't helpful. And there are still some things that need to change in me. But I wish right at the start, as I started out on this journey, someone would have told me, do not shrink back from who you are, your cultural norms, the way you express yourself, your experiences, your take on the world is important and valuable. In your attempts to find acceptance and community in church, don't downplay them or lose sight of it. Yes, there are lessons to be learned from others, but you don't have to assimilate to the culture to be a follower of Jesus. And actually, there is a unique role for you to play. Why do I say this? Well, in my becoming of a Christian and in the churches and circles I have been in and was in, in a way, the, spoke, the way I spoke, the, the way I did things was sometimes not taken seriously. Sometimes was mocked, and so very quickly, I learned that if I wanted to be a part of the tribe and have a voice, I needed to change and sound like those in the tribe. And quite honestly, I mourn that. I mourn that in some Christian circles, I can't be my full self and find acceptance of it. And so I ask myself, and us as a church, are there ways in which we are asking young Chris Heiligers and others who are different to assimilate to the culture rather than the gospel? A few weeks ago at the Holbeck gathering, Hannah Pearson, who co-leads there, uh, said, God is huge, much bigger than what we can comprehend. And I believe this to be true. And because he is bigger than what we can comprehend. None of us know him fully. We need each other. 
our experiences, our ways of viewing the world to understand something of God that we cannot from our singular viewpoint. And so, I come back to the title of this sermon, the title of this, uh, this uh, week. How do we move from tribalism to diversity and inclusion? Let me encourage us. Uh, let's be people who choose to learn from others who are different from us. And I would suggest doing this through relationship and friendship. Really excited to, to hear um, that next week uh, there will be food shared. That's such a great opportunity to learn, to, to meet people who are not like ourselves. The disciples saw someone outside of their tribe and chose, and try, tr- chose to try and shut down what they were doing rather than take notes, seeing someone do something they weren't able to do. So let's choose to be interested in how others see things, experience things, and invite them into conversations that they are not involved in already. And then the last point I have um, to move towards diversity from tribalism. And even as I say this, um, if I'm honest, my back gets a little bit tighter. Um, I would encourage us to be people who are quick to repent. Why do I specifically say repent? Well, repentance means showing remorse and sorrow for something. We admit we have done wrong and choosing to turn away from it and go the other way. It means admitting I, we, were wrong, are wrong, and actually I'm not living, behaving, or thinking in the way God would have me, as I believe he knows what's best. And at the crux of it, it's an act of humility. An act of humility in admission of wrongdoing, in not knowing all the answers and going against what God would have us do. It's actually the opposite of pride and the feeling of being superior. But when I think about it, and again, why, why does my back get tight? In my mind, and maybe in yours, there's a lot of red tape around the word repentance, just the word itself. We can see it as something we do initially when we choose to follow Christ, and then we can put it in the cupboard for, for safekeepings, when we feel real conviction uh, for something we might have done. And whilst this is good, I also feel the word almost, uh, yeah, the word almost comes with a feeling of guilt and shame. And actually, the act of true repentance should rid a person of guilt and shame. It's supposed to bring freedom, liberty, and the opportunity for a clean slate. And if I have this right, uh, I think the reason why we shy away from the word repentance, admitting we are wrong to God and others, is our understanding of grace can sometimes be warped. You see, if we see sin mistakes bigger than the grace that comes from Jesus' death and resurrections, we will always shy away from coming to God with our mistakes, our muck-ups. We will always have fear, shame, and guilt attached. But if we see grace for what it is, something that goes deep and wide into our deepest and darkest closets, if we know that God, 
Jesus sees all our muck, our sin, and is not put off by it, but is willing and readily waiting to extend his unmerited favour, his grace to us, his forgiveness. We will be quicker to run to him. We'll be quicker to run to him in and with our wrongdoings. And actually, repenting can also be a way in which we find the right posture, the humility to learn from others who are not like us. So I started um, in admission that tribalism is something that, some, that, is, that exists within our society. But also at times we subscribe to tribalism knowingly or and unknowingly. And I guess I want to give time, opportunity for responding. Do you feel there's a need to respond in repentance? No, repentance is not something we go into in shame, but we go humbly and find a God who is quick to forgive and extend his unmerited favor. And I, I was thinking about this um, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're here today, I was thinking what might be helpful for you to hear. Well, the truth is that the God of the Bible, Jesus, is much more inclusive than the tribalism we see around us in our society. And the opportunity to find belonging, acceptance, is here. And he brings it. And one of us, um, maybe the person you came with, would love to talk to you about what this might look like for you. So let me just pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that your vision, your understanding of diversity and inclusion is much bigger than ours. Thank you that it's your idea. I thank you that you have grace that far exceeds anything we can do. Any offense we can cause, any thought we can think, you are gracious to us. Father, as we respond now, um, would you just be with us? Would you be speaking to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.